Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline's your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds, and today I'm very excited to announce our guest for this episode. Uh, She coached Olympic champion Christy Yamaguchi uh, to glory, and um, she's just very renowned in the figure skating world. I'm so pleased to introduce Christy Ness. Thank you so much, Christy, for coming on today. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Paulina. It should be fun. I've never (laughs) done one of these before, so it should be a good time. Well, um, I, I really appreciate you doing this today. Uh, I have so many memories with you as a young skater, you know, you helping my team, um, and helping me with technique, just giving so much good advice to me. Um, I really held that dearly. So I'm, I'm very excited to have you speak more on skating today and just share your knowledge. (laughs) All right. Well, first question, um, how did your career in coaching skating start? How did you get involved in skating and, and what made you want to pursue coaching? I kind of fell into it. I, I really did fall into it. I had competed. I competed up through senior level and I was going to just skate and not go on to university. My mother said, okay, all right. <laughs> and then enrolled me in Armstrong Business School. So I learned how to type. She actually took me down and enrolled me. After the first course, I figured out, I thought I'd go to university. I didn't think I could, you know, but I was kind of, I, I had no direction. You know, I have heard a few of your podcasts where kids talk about the end of competitive skating and what do you do? It's something you've loved to do. You really enjoy it. It's your life. And then all of a sudden it's kind of come to an end or you're not getting further and you're up against a roadblock. What, what do you do? And nobody sat me down. I didn't have a team behind me sitting me down saying anything. I had to come up with myself, you know, um, my parents, didn't push or didn't say anything. Nobody said, nobody really did a lot of worrying about what I thought or what I was doing. You know, it wasn't like, you know, um, I didn't have a helicopter parent at all. Now, have I turned into a helicopter parent? I perhaps had, I certainly have signs of it. (laughs) But, um, you know, um, I fell in. And so I enrolled at Cal, UC Berkeley. I decided to go ahead and, and this was fall of, um, I think 69, fall of 69. I didn't go right on to university, took some time off and skated and did worse in skating than I'd ever done. And really upset, really discouraged. 
and thought, okay, I'll get my application in. So I put my application in and I started in the spring of 70. That was in the days you didn't have to do this big worry. You took, I'd already taken an SAT. I had good grades in high school. That's all you needed. You didn't have to have all these other boxes ticked. So it was a much easier, simpler time. And so I started in the spring of 70 and they had a strike at campus. And they had, um, they closed the campus for four days. This is off the subject, but that's how I started coaching because, you know, the opportunity to do some classes, but in those times when you coached, you were professional, you couldn't go back to competing. So it was like you were making a big decision, you know, and it was very difficult. So I started coaching, started coaching a class and I took uh, my first class was probably the hardest thing I've ever coached in my life. I was 19 at the time. They didn't want me as their coach. And I thought these, these, it was Girl Scout group. I thought they wanted to learn how to skate. I mistakenly thought they wanted to learn how to actually skate. No, they were just there to have fun. It was after school. They were just there to have a good time. And so here I was trying to get them to skate and, and learn how to skate. And they really just wanted to have mess around. Anyway, I started coaching as a hobby while I went to Cal. And by the time I graduated, I had skaters that were already doing well, making Pacific Coast. And I was coaching at the end. I was coaching probably four and five hours a day while I went to school. Um, and so school took a little bit of a backseat to coaching. But when I graduated, I liked it better than I'd done at Cal. Um, it was a lot more, you know, I felt like I could make a difference in people. I felt I could actually, when I taught my first axle, I remember teaching first skater to the first axle. And I could teach it so they would do it correctly. Same thing with a, with a flip jump, single flip. I could teach it correctly. And that gives you some sense of satisfaction. You feel like you're giving something to somebody. You're actually making a difference for them. And I think that's where my love of it started. And then a year after graduation, I had my first skater at U.S. Nationals. And then I, it, a year after that, I had my first international skater, you know, skater internationally. And so it just kind of kept going from there. But I, it was something I fell into. I never said, I want to be a skating coach when I grow up. <laughs> That's awesome. Funny how life works like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, when in your coaching career did you get Christy Yamaguchi as a student? Um, I'd already, I'm trying to remember. I mean, it's, it's a while ago. It's quite a while ago. <laughs> I mean, she won the Olympic gold quite a while ago before that. It was 10 years before that or 11 years before that. Um, she was nine. And I met her first at a training camp. I did a training camp that uh, another very famous coach, Carla Fosse, ran. And he invited coaches to come in and, and, and work there. And um, I met her there. And I remember, I, kind of, I remember when I met her, um, she was in my little group. You had given her a little group of skaters. And she was, of course, very tiny. She always was tiny. And I remember saying to her, oh, what's your name? She said, my name's Christy. I said, well, that's my name. And that's what she remembered. <laughs> that's why she remembered me, not because of any great technique, not because of sparkling personality or any greatest. No, she remembered me because I said my name was Christy too. And um, that's how it started. You never know what's going to, what's going to, you know, make a child interested. That is adorable, actually. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and her coach is, um, actually suggested she come take some jump lessons from me. I'd had skaters at U.S. Nationals. I'm trying to remember, I don't think I, you know, it's a lot. I had skaters place at Nationals before I had her. I had skaters place at Novice and, jun and um, Juniors, and I had people skating at U.S. Senior level before mm -hmm. I had Christy. 
I had um, other skaters before her, before teaching her. But, you know, again, I don't remember. I remember she, I had my Berkeley group when I first coached Berkeley Iceland. And then I went to San Mateo, which is where she um, started taking from me. Got it. So you were uh, local to the Bay Area as well as Christy. Um, so yes. it was kind of easy to work together exactly. when she was younger. Yeah. Awesome. Very easy. And, but I mean, all these people made big sacrifices to drive. I mean, they were driving huge distances. Um, not as much for Yamaguchi's. I mean, it was from, but it was from Fremont every morning. And her mother had two other children to get ready for school and get ready. And it's not easy. These people put in huge sacrifices. And then she would take Chrissy to school and then come back and work in San Mateo. You know, I mean, they were back and forth. People commute a lot in the Bay Area for different activities. And it's, um, it can be a big strain on a family, big strain. Don't I know it? (laughs) (laughs) That Bay Area traffic. We love it. Did you notice something in Christy as a really young skater when you first started working with her? Like this girl's really talented or I really need to keep an eye on this one. Or was that something that was developed later? It developed because when she came to me, you know, here's this little bitty girl um, doing these cheetah jumps. Is she swinging around on her jumps? Everything was swinging around, really swinging. And um, can she fix them? But she always listened. And she always, it, two things about Christy, she always listened really well. And, you know, she never said a word. She just nod her head. And then, you know, I nod my head, she'd go off and try, you know, but didn't say a word when she was, when I first coached her, but always listened. And the other thing was, she always came back with something fixed. Things got fixed. I mean, she had a lesson and guess what? Something was different or better the next time. You don't get that that much anymore. People are so used to, I see skaters that expect to be spoon fed everything every day and less responsibility is put on the skater. I think when Mm -hmm. when that happens, sometimes that's your only recourse. You don't have any other recourse. You have to do it every day or it doesn't get done, but it's nice when you can actually give a lesson. Somebody goes and practices and comes back with an improvement. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just kind of, as a coach, you go, oh, it's better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so true. But she started out with 15 minute lessons. It wasn't like she had tons and it was on a public session at an ice page chalet. It was public mm-hmm. session in the corner. She learned her double axle. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, um, you know, she made do with what she had. Definitely. You ended up going to Canada at one point um, and Christy went with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did how did she kind of handle that process of moving with you to Canada? And um, like, what can you kind of talk about within that yeah. time period of coaching? Because um, again, that that's also a huge um, family sacrifice for her as well, you know, Big for her sacrifice. parents to entrust, you know, their daughter with you in Canada um, and it, well, it paid off, but. I met my husband at the Olympics in Calgary. I had a girl skate for Taiwan and I met my husband there and we were, we weren't husband and wife. Then we, I married him the next year. We got married in 1989 and Chrissy was a senior in high school. And so, you know, at some point as a coach, you have to decide you in all you, you love your students, you enjoy them. You really enjoy working with them and you do love them, 
but it's a business and they can turn around and leave you the next day. And so, you know, when I met Andrew, I knew he was the one and I knew I couldn't let, I, you know, I, <laughs> after a while you just realize who's the one and what's more important. And so I had, I moved, one of us had to move and he had three practices at the time. So I had to be the one to move. And I didn't know if she'd come up. I know she came up for the summer to see how it was going. And then she decided what she was going to do in the fall. So it was kind of, when she first came up, she didn't say, oh, I'm going to move up and da, da, da. No, she came up to see what it was like. And she ended up moving from skating in a shopping center rink to a very good trading facility, which was also very nice. The Royal Glenora Club was a private sports club that had a rink that was only figure skating. You could skate from six in the morning until 10 at night if you really wanted to. Um, we didn't, had inside, you know, had a gym there. It had restaurants, it had bowling alley, it had, Canadian sports clubs are very, very nice. And they're very set for families, the whole family to go. So everybody can do a sport they wanna do, whether it's tennis, or whether it's badminton, they had a big badminton team there. They had a tennis team. They had all these different sports available. Um, the only thing, they had an outdoor swimming in Edmonton that wasn't very practical. They put a bubble over it now and they don't have a rink anymore, which is too bad. But um, it was an mm -hmm. ideal place. And when I, um, Mary Andrew moved up to Stony Plain, Alberta and taught at the Royal Glenora in Edmonton, um, there were five coaches and four, say six coaches and five of people at the world team level. Well, that's something. So all of a sudden yeah. I was among people that had skaters that were doing things. And so it was fun for me as well, because it's more stimulating. If you're the only person, if you're working in a, you know, isolated rink, it's much harder to stay motivated. It's much more fun if somebody else has somebody at the same level or yeah. even much better. I mean, Kurt Browning was there and he's a magnetic force anyway. You yeah. know, he's a good skater. He, he gets everybody, you know, he picks up the whole rink. He's got that mm -hmm. personality that picks up everybody, you know, which is fun. Absolutely. And like Slip Chuck and there were Lisa Sargent. I mean, there were all these good Canadian skaters. Then there was the Danish girl and I said Torplin. There were the Australians. There were the, the, you know, the Swedish kids that came. Kids from all over the world. So it was a, it was a different type of training atmosphere. And it was yeah. fun. And there were, it was different also because on the senior session, you didn't see there weren't any parents. There's no parents watching. They call it the one area, the older kids call it the parent pit. <laughs> the parents all sat in one area um, for the younger kids when they come. But it was a it was a good situation because you had the coaches and skaters all striving mm -hmm. and they got along. Nobody was bickering that I saw. People got along, they supported each other. Was it completely ideal? No, no, but it, it was good. I think I attribute yeah. Jan Allmark for having that, to, for instilling that camaraderie and just we're all working together atmosphere. And it's quite different. You don't find that all the time. Yeah, no, that sounds like a very great environment that is positive for everybody involved. And the other thing is with skating with, there were sometimes on a senior session, there'd be two, three girls, Lisa Sargent, Asset Torpel and Christie, and then there would be 12 guys. And even if they weren't good jumpers, they were tall and they were bigger and they moved fast. And that's wow. Yeah. And can you imagine? I mean, you skate as a parent. Can you imagine yeah. skating and there's only three girls and the rest are all guys? <laughs> it's just yes. You know, no, it's 
It's funny. It's a different atmosphere. Very different. I remember uh, training in Los Angeles for a few weeks with uh-huh. uh, Evan Lysacek and Dennis Ten yeah. um, when I was 15. And it was just the three of us on the ice. But again, for me to be this petite, small 15 year old with two amazing senior men that are so fast and so powerful, um, it was it was extremely vot- motivating for me to be on the ice with them. The other thing is that the guys take it more like a game. You go to a guy's dressing room before a competition and you then you go to the female, the girls dressing room for a competition. And you see the difference in the atmosphere. Usually, maybe not all the time, but the guys, I mean, they would eat sandwiches before they skated. I watch them. <laughs> you know, they weren't, I was in the dressing room, but you know, I had a, a, um, people that skated at the senior Canadian level that made mm-hmm. the world team. And I mean, these people, these guys would eat sandwiches half an hour before they skated. All the girls were sitting there quiet and all this and into their zone and doing all this. The guys were out. They were having a good time. So it was a, it's a different atmosphere set. It's more like a game. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about the parents, you, you mentioned there was like a senior session where the yeah. parents weren't there. Uh, parents can be difficult in skating, um, but they're also so essential, you know, oh. to the skaters entire exactly. life um, and their skating career. How did you handle working with parents of your students? Um, and, and what can you say about navigating that relationship since it is a pretty important component to the oh, triangle? It is. it is a triangle and you have to all work together and it, you get all kinds of parents. Um, I think I've told you my senior thesis was competitive figure skaters and their parents. Was like, <laughs> like, oh, that was a fun class. That was one I liked, but um, how do you handle, well, you're honest. Honesty is probably a good place to start. Honesty, you have to be honest with them. You have to tell them honestly what things are happening. Um, you know, progress is like watching grass grow. It can be, um, I mean, like I said, you know, you go along, go along, go along, nothing changes. All of a sudden, you know, you get an improvement and that happens. And that's, um, so it's hard for a parent to sit there seeing, the same thing day after day after day after day, but that is how progress goes, and that's how people learn. Um, I honestly is the best thing with the parents. You know, I was very fortunate. I'd say in the last ten or twelve years of coaching, I really didn't have any what I call difficult parents. You know, I had one parent when I was younger. You know, and I was young. I was you know early twenties coaching, and I had one parent every, tell me everything I did wrong. Everything I did wrong all the time. <laughs> and she wondered why I didn't like her, why I didn't come up and talk to her. Well, because she kept, you know, at me. The Amaguchi's never said one word. I mean, we would discuss later what Christy could have done better, but nobody ever said to me, well, Christy, why didn't she do this? Why didn't you make her do this? It was never put on me. It was always, you know, I remember her dad said one time, Christy, did you have to fall down again? <laughs> You know, I mean, he'd say things like that. and But I never felt like I couldn't go up to them and talk to them. I never felt like I was going to, it was never an attack to me. And I knew they could leave me, you know, it, it, skaters can go, they can come and go. And it's not, you know, they're trying to do the best for their child. And I understood that. I knew that. But I never felt like I was afraid to go up and talk to them. And I'd say in the last 10 years of coaching, I really didn't have, of people I was responsible for. I had um, a skater from um, Europe come over 
And her mother was coaching at the side. And I said, you know, we don't let parents coach. I mean, she was screaming at her while I was trying to coach her. That was difficult. But I, you know, I wasn't responsible. She was here for a vacation or whatever. And so I, I didn't feel a responsibility to her. Mm-hmm. And yes, as a coach, you do feel responsibility. You know, you feel responsible mm-hmm. for how they skate. You don't, you're not completely responsible because you're not the skater, but you feel a responsibility. You feel a responsibility to try to help them fix it. Whatever is going on, you're, it's your job. And what you want to do is try to help them overcome it and fix it. So when they, if they don't skate well, you take it upon yourself to get in there and figure out what do you, what needs to be better? You mm-hmm. know, if they don't get good scores, what needs to be better? That's where you have to, that's where coaching comes in. When they skate well, you know, you're almost not needed. You're almost supplerious because you don't need, you know, but when they don't skate well, she's like parents, they really need their parents when they don't skate well. That's yeah. when they need their parents. Because yeah. when they skate well, great, it's good. But it's when it doesn't go so well, that's when they really need the parent to say, look, it's skating. It's not life. Yes. You know? And they balance. have to, you know, balance is really important. Agreed. Yeah. On that note of, um, you know, you, you never know if your student's going to leave you. I feel like that's a very sensitive topic for a lot of coaches because, um, there, there is a culture of, you know, jumping coach to coach and it's not right. everybody. Um, like some people are very loyal or feel like there's no reason to leave. And some people do want to go and try a ton of different, uh, techniques and this and that. What do you think, uh, the perfect or the best recipe is for, um, coaching in terms of finding somebody that you really fit with and when things don't go well, do you stay and trust the process or do you switch things up? It it's twofold. I mean, first of all, of course, it depends on the, on the parents and what they think is going on. I think you have to talk to the skater. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it depends on the skater. If the skater likes the coach they're with, you don't switch. If the competition didn't go well, you, as a parent, you should go talk to the coach, see what they might recommend, and maybe go and try another coach for a week or two or whatever. And no, you don't, you don't expect Rome to be built. You just try to you know, maybe it's going to hear the other coach say the same thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's one insight. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's one aspect. I think you have to talk to the skater, you know, mm-hmm. let's say the skater's over age 10, you ask the skater, don't forget the skater is the one doing it. And if they really love that coach. Don't switch them. Don't change mm-hmm. coaches, no matter what the glory is. And you go to a coach that's had this quote, quote, had somebody, how much time do they have? Do they have the interest, you know, in your child? Um, that goes a long ways. That goes a long ways. I think you can always supplement it. They don't have as many camps anymore, do they? I mean, I guess they have a few. There aren't as many camps. The other thing they really that was really valuable for me as a coach moving up was mm-hmm. they had these, these camps in Colorado Springs where they would bring in and they'd have Carla Fossey and sometimes Frank Carroll, Don Laws, coached Scott Hamilton, among many, many others, you know, the last four years or five years, um, come in and be the head coaches. And then they brought every coach of every skater in. And it was like, each one was like a seminar, you know, and they would, you know, they'd give a class and you could stand as their coach. You could stand back and watch the 
the class being taught, whether it was on triple sockeye or double axles or triple loops, whatever, or school figures when we had to do school figures. It was mm-hmm. on that. And I, as a coach, would go over and I actually asked them, I'd go over, I remember asking Don Laws, can you fix this back paragraph loop of Chrissy's? I can't seem to fix it. And he did. <laughs> I mean, he fixed it for me. I watched mm-hmm. him fix it. Well, that's invaluable. I did the same thing with Carlo. I said, you know, what should I? And he fixed it. You mm-hmm. know, so when you can see somebody fix something for your student and actually do it as a coach, you know, if you're thinking, you know, uh, that's great. I don't care to say that Don Laws fixed that or Carla fixed this or Frank fixed that. It doesn't take anything away from me. And that's one thing also as a coach, you have to realize. You have to check your ego at the door and it's what's best for the skater. It has to be what's best for the skater. Love that. Yeah, I remember um, my time working with you and David and I would come uh-huh. to um, Oakland or Dublin and you would just have me do some double run-throughs, which I wasn't used to at the time, but you were very like matter of fact about it. I, uh-huh. There was no way I could say no to a second run-through. Um, and I remember you used to tell me that quote. Um, it, it went something along the lines of, you know, when you lace up your skates, everybody in the locker room has a chance to win. Um, so that yeah. that type of uh, mentality was instilled in me, um, by you when I was younger, but Mm -hmm. you really, really supported David. You supported our team, um, in the process and, and you kind of made us stronger for that. Um, so my question for you is what advice do you have for young coaches who do have talented skaters, um, but maybe not the history behind raising them in the sport? Keep working with them. Keep, I mean, just keep Mm -hmm. giving them, you know, come to the rink every day, giving your best. Um, you know, that's one thing and I'll use Christy because people know her. I had other skaters that did exactly the same thing. You used to do the same thing, but I didn't see her as much. She used to come ready to work every day. She came prepared to work. Her hair was pulled back. I didn't have to say, Christy, go pull that hair back. It's going to get in your face. You know, <laughs> she, she came with her hair pulled back. She came fairly rested. You know, she came rested to the rink every day. She came ready to work with a good attitude. I never had, because if you have a skater comes in with a bad attitude, you can't fix them, you know, skating can help them because of the, you know, adrenaline and everything gets going, but you can't fix them if they come in not wanting to work. And so as a, if you're say you're not a high level coach, the other thing I did, and I did it just because I wanted to do it. I didn't do it because anybody told me to do it. I used to go my vacation before I met my husband, Andrew, my vacations were going to the world championships with I go with groups there's lots of groups that go go with a group and I go to every practice and sit at every practice perhaps not the ice dance and watch and I learned a lot you learn a lot you watch how they interact you watch the coach you watch the how the coaches interact with students you watch what they're doing you watch what they correct I sat and watched and I loved it it was fun it's very you know you have to I think as a coach you have to be an observer you know, you don't always have to be the one that can have rotated easily in the air. You don't have to be the skater that had the easiest time. And perhaps because I, I didn't have that easy time. I won when I was young. I won without doing much of anything, you know, very easy. And then when I got to about 12 or 13, I again hit a roadblock and I had to learn how to jump when I was 12 or 13. Now, I know 
the ISU thinks you all need to be, you know, 18, then you learn how to jump. I'm sorry, you really need to learn to jump earlier so it becomes automatic because you're trying to train those muscles to have that automatic reflex and automatic response. And so I had to be more analytical. And of course, the minute you analyze and you're doing a jump, it slows you down. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to what you do as a coach. Um, I think be an observer. If you can't go to Worlds, go to the Nationals and watch. Sit in the stands and watch. And just sit there and, and watch what they do. It's invaluable. Also, the other thing you pick up is styles of music. Styles of music change. Now, do I mm-hmm. like the style of music now? Not particularly, but styles of music change. And you go with the times. And so, and styles mm-hmm. of choreography change. And so you just observe and you see what you like and what you don't like. And go to PSA conferences. Mm-hmm. PSA conferences is a good place for a coach. Go to the mm-hmm. PSA conferences and learn and listen to people. Listen to them. Go listen. And if nothing else, you might get, you know, you go all week and they say, oh, you go one week. And if you get one new idea or if you get two new ideas, it's bonus. But if you get one new idea and you run with it, it's worth the whole week of time. Because, again, Mm -hmm. we work in a vacuum so much of the time. And that's why if you work with lots of other coaches around, it's different. It's fun. Mm -hmm. But you don't get that very often. Most of the time. There's one coach, maybe two coaches, and maybe you're competing with the other coach and they're not very friendly about it. Um, and you're a younger coach coming up and they don't want the competition. And so you don't get that camaraderie. You don't get that exchange of, of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely dependent on the rank you're at and the environment. Oh, it does. It, but... Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, politics are part of all sports um, and it definitely takes part in skating. Uh, so what was your strategy for your students um, navigating that side of the sport? The only way to win in figure skating is be a foot above everybody else. That's the only way, that's the only way to guarantee success. Otherwise, you're at the whim of somebody. And as you know, the higher you get, the harder it gets because it gets to be the hundredth of a second difference. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You have to be so much better that they can say, they can almost close their eyes and go, oh, that one's good. Oh, that one's better. Why? Well, what makes them better? But it has to be so much better than everybody else. You know, and it gets very difficult. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, with the new judging system, it was put in for a reason. I understand that. But I also think that it evens out everybody so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many level four spins are you seeing? How many level th- or three or four? I mean, then that evens it out a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I think it cuts down originality, you know, but anyway, back to how you, I don't think there's any other way to win in figure skating unless you're so much better that it's so obvious and it's, you still might not win, <laughs> you know, you still might not get it Yeah, you know, so much better. And what does that mean? You, your jumps are higher, faster, quicker. You do harder jumps. You do them with more grace. You do the hardest jumps with the most in interpretation and the most ball- balletic, graceful program you can do. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, it's very difficult. And that's why figure skating, it, it can keep going on because there's no perfection. Mm-hmm. There's no perfection. There's always room for something else to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, something can be really good, really good. Oh, look at that foot. Look at the hand hanging. Look at the, you know, look at the landing. Look at the way they lift up. Look at the way they don't lift up. Um, you know, so, I mean, 
And I think Frank Carroll said it well. I heard him say, I maybe it was Leisenchuk that said, you know, it's not the perfect skater that wins, it's the best skater. You're trying to be the best. Yes. It's not the perfect skater that wins, you know? And so the only way to, to guarantee success in figure skating is to shoot for trying to be the very best they've ever seen. Harder jumps, but done nicely, done beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yes. With grace. Quality. Quality. Mm-hmm. Quality has to be there. Mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> well, what about media? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of media these days. There was also media uh, back oh, years ago in skating there. as well. Different now. Uh, there's a lot now. more platforms, but even still, um, when you're when you're in sports and you're you're winning things and you make it to that top level, you are in a spotlight. Um, and media can really overhype athletes. Um, and oh, it can, you know, yeah, Just, it can. I think, it can... I think the term "goat" should stop. <laughs> I think that should stop. That's a. It's a lot day. of pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of expectation, and it's quite distracting, really, for yeah. athletes, for everybody involved. Um, so what do you kind of think about media, um, just from a coaching perspective, how did you approach media with Christy and, um, like, what do you think people should be doing now to kind of focus in on the performance at hand rather than everything going on in the background? Well, you're not going to get the phones away from the skaters because I couldn't get the phone away from my teenage daughter in high school. You know, you're not going to get the phone away. You're not going to get the social media away, but you have to drum it into them that you don't believe the good press and you, and then you turn around and don't believe the bad press. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, I'm talking about actual press, not the neighborhood natty, nattering around gossip stuff. I'm yeah. not talking about that. I'm talking about the actual press of newspapers and television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they kiss up to you one day and they'll turn around and not talk to you the next. Um, Chrissy had that. And mm. when she was supposed to win in Minneapolis, the people that had done the up close and personal, they were, oh, Chrissy, Chrissy, you know, we're your best friends. And then she didn't win. And she's standing there. And Tanya Harding won that year. And she's standing there kind of, a, you know, a little bit upset, whatever. They walked right by her. Same people that have been her best buddies. So you mm. learn. There was one group of, of reporters and cameramen that weren't like that, that talked to everybody. And because of that, I told them, I said, look, you're going to get better stories because they talk to you whether you won or lost. But a lot of the networks, you're yesterday's news, you know? And so you have to, you can't believe your good press and you, that you turn around and can't believe, you don't believe the bad. You know, you might hear it just like judges comments, same thing. You hear them and then you sort through them. What, what's relevant? What's relevant? And yes, you have to, you know, get the blinders on and not pay attention. I don't know what you do with the social media stuff. I don't, um, I wouldn't know how to control that. Yeah, it's different. Keep drumming into them and get off and, you know, as, but this is where the parenting comes in. Coaches can't do that. This yeah. is a parent thing. This is definitely the problem of it. And um, I don't know what you do. You know, you grow up in some household that never has a phone, never has a TV, and um, <laughs> maybe you're happy and maybe you can do it. Um, I grew up liking TV, so I'm, you know, I like television. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, so I like it. Um, That's funny. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how you control some of that, the social media things now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you control that. Mm-hmm. And 
they have to, how do you keep drumming into your child that it's who they are that matters, not what they do. And I know with Christy, um, I'll use her as an example. Andrew said, he put, I think he really said it very well. He said, well, her, her role in life is the middle child of the Yamaguchi family. That was her role in life. That was her first role. Her second role was, you know, student or figure skater. And Carla Fossey also said it really well. I mean, I, you know, I know when I remember lectures I went to, he said, he, he said a couple of very interesting things. The one was um, skating is supposed to be their fun and school is their job. So in other words, they have to go to school. School's their job and skating has to be something they ch have chosen to do, mm -hmm. you know? So that was very important to me. And the other thing, when he gave a talk, he talked about, you know, everybody wants to talk about my successes. Let me tell you about my failures. Yeah. You know, let me tell mm -hmm. you about the, the kids I wasn't able to help. And he went on and talked about it. It was a really, really insightful and good for a young coach to hear. Because you know, mm -hmm. otherwise you think, oh, how will I ever, I mean, he had four Olympic gold medals. That's, you know, that's almost unheard of nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Crazy. Well, jumping into current skating today, um, you know, this past Olympics, there was a lot of scandal um, surrounding the ladies event in particular. And now there's talk of an age change for women's skating. They're trying to up the minimum age to, I think, 17. Um, so yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts on everything that's been going on recently and, and just where women's skating has kind of developed into in the past decade. Well, I do think, okay. I, I think the whole thing with the Olympics, you're talking about two different, they're talking about two different subjects and they're jumping at a solution. Okay. The solution is to raise the age. I mean, were you too young at 16 to go to the Olympics? I don't think so. You were perfectly ready. You were ready, you were ready physically, you were ready mentally. Were you, would you have been better at, at, you know, at 20? Oh, yes. I mean, yes, mentally, yes, you yeah. know, of course. <laughs> But um, were you not good at 16? No, you were great. So, I mean, do you not, everybody's different. And they're, you know, so there's the age issue. My feeling is they're trying to make themselves feel better by saying, oh, we're protecting the skaters. Does that really protect the skaters? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how, you know, um, sure. But it could also do more damage to their body when they're older jumping, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a fine line. Are you too young? What about the kids that go to university at 14, 15? You know, should they be having to go back over the same high school homework they had just because you don't want them pushed? I think it's, that's where the coach and the parent have to have, have to be on the same boat. And they're the ones that should be responsible for it. I don't feel like the ISU should be responsible for all of that. Now, if they find an abusive coach, you know, the PSA should step in, which I, they have on cases, does have to be bad sometimes. But I mean, I don't, it's, it's all encompassing, but I think they're jumping at changing the age. I think, mm -hmm. I don't think that's, you at 16 and somebody else at 16 are two different people. You at 14 was much more dedicated and, and you know, I mean, you were very driven and, and, you had all the earmarks at 14. Does that mean you shouldn't get a chance? Should you not go to internationals at 14? Is it an age? No, it's, it's the maturity of the child. And mm -hmm. did you need weight divisions then? Should we have weight divisions? You know, because is it fair that somebody who weighs 140 pounds competing against somebody who weighs 95 doing the same jumps? 
I mean, what division? How do you do it? Midori Ida was four foot ten. Is that a dis is that an advantage? Yes, can be. It's low center of gravity, she jumped huge, her build. What do you then hold somebody back? I mean, how you can't you, you can't level the playing field. Loving the playing field is never going to be level. Some people have this ability, some people have that. And that's where coaching comes mm -hmm. in. You take somebody that's four foot ten and try and make them look graceful. You take somebody else that's maybe 140 pounds and try to teach them to jump. You know, I don't think it's age. And um, I don't think older is always better. Mm -hmm. Do I think, do I like seeing young skaters? Um, when they don't skate young, I don't think of them as young. There's so many industries where different ages are doing things. What are they doing by raising the age to 17? I think it's, you know, I mean, you can, you can have a driver's license at 16. You're responsible for getting on the freeway and driving a car. So you're, you're having to accept some responsibility then. Um, I don't think that's protecting the skaters. I think the drugging is another complete issue. And I think they're, because the drug issue has nothing to do with age. There's drug issues all ages, correct? I mean, in Olympics, some are even more than winter. And there's drug issues, and that is serious. And the fact that they give drugs to um, young people, then do you punish people in other countries that they aren't giving drugs to young people? Are you punishing them? Because, you know, another country broke the rules. I you get down the drug part of it. You know, that's where I think it is. Some things I don't know. And as far as I don't know how they're coached there. I don't know how they're treated. I don't know. I can't say. Are they restricted? I don't know. In fact, they can't eat potato chips and can't eat McDonald's. Is that restricting a child? Is that making them, you know, not free? <laughs> you know, I mean, is that bad? No. Are they not given healthy food? I have no idea. See, that I don't know. You know, I don't have insight in that. I've never, I don't have insight. And that's my, you know, from the outside, I think it's people judging other people. Oh, they must be starved if they're thin. No, they must, they may not be starved. They may just be eating healthy food. They may just be, you were always thin. You weren't starved. You know, maybe you couldn't have the, the you know, maybe your mother didn't bring out the chocolate all the time, but. Dark chocolate. We love um, dark chocolate. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. And see, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, some of that's mm -hmm. opinion. And it's, it's, it comes on the form of almost a jealousy of what these kids are doing. I don't know how they're trained. Is it the drugs that's teaching them quad jumps? I don't know. I don't think so. I think the, I thought that what they took just helped them do them in a program and help their endurance mm -hmm. portion of it. But maybe they're taking the same for strength too. I don't know. What do you think about um, endurance? If, if there's people taking endurance medication um, long-term during training as well. Uh, like that, that would help you yeah. get jumps because you can train for longer hours, you know, be less tired yeah. to be able to jump. So in a way like endurance, yeah. it doesn't just mean like strength drugs, endurance drugs can definitely help learn. Yeah, it could help them, could help them in practice sessions. But, you know, I had a skater when she was, um, little, I had her do, and she was doing double axle as an intermediate. And in those days, that was that was the early 70s. 
that was considered mm-hmm. really good. She did a program five times in a row without stopping her aerobic capacity. And she just keep doing programs. Yeah. When you're younger, <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> Elaine Zayak. Elaine Zayak annihilated her competition in juniors. She demoralized everybody. She went out and did, I can't remember if she had five triple jumps in her number. It was a lot of toes and sows. That's when they had the, you know, Zayak rule. You couldn't repeat the jump too many times, but she'd annihilate, just demoralize them. The more the competition, she did a long program two or three times, mm-hmm. clean. <laughs> and the other skiers would go, you know, their faces would get kind of long and kind of demoralized because she, she demoralized the whole mm-hmm. competition. Because she, you know, that wasn't drugs. So it, it, everybody's different, you know, to have so many skaters doing it. Yes, it may be. I mean, it may be, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Again, I'm on the outside right. looking in. Yeah, we all are. You know, I'm on mm-hmm. the outside looking in. Yeah. And so you can speculate, you can do that. And maybe, it, you know, maybe I'm being mm-hmm. naive about it, you know, Um I don't see how they get these, you know, I've watched some of the videos since then. I started watching some of these clips of YouTube videos. I see and these little kids doing these jumps. I'm going, and they're like nine yeah. and 10. And I said to one of my friends, who's Ukrainian, I said, well, there was one that this little girl looked she was seven or eight and she was doing something, some triple jump or whatever. And I said, you know, I told her, I said, they don't look like, I said, they can't even do their times tables yet. And she said, oh, Chrissy, they can do their times tables because if they can't do their times table by age seven or eight, they don't get moved up <laughs> in school. So I was going, oh, <laughs> you know, we don't no. live like that, especially in California. system, for sure. You know, yeah, it's a system. And so um, they said, oh, you don't move up. Dory, you know, did double axle half of triple sow nine, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I saw these and Chrissy was doing, she did double sow cow. <laughs> so you know, there you go um, at some point at some point you level out you level in out. the in the senior division that's what that's what matters yeah. if you if you can get to senior without getting injured without being injured and that's again I think I mentioned before they want to understand with the age why don't they put school figures back in put school figures back in first of all they give tremendous control you'd have less flex jumps because they can learn how to do a back outside edge. You can't do some of those school figures and keep the edge. Do you know what clean edges? Of course. Oh, you do. Okay. <laughs> Rather than a flat. Yes. Flats where you have two blades mm-hmm. on the ice at one time. Yes. And on school figures, you had to be on one edge or the other mm-hmm. edge. And um, sorry, that's the computer going on. No worries. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the control on some of those school figures would give you more control on the flutzes. You saw less flutzes mm-hmm. because I think people had more control. It certainly slowed down progress because if you didn't make a cut on the school figures, you didn't even do your freestyle. You know, that was a big deal. You got cut out. And so, um, I mean, that'd be one way to slow it down, get more control. They got injured then too. Sometimes they, because you're always changing skates. You had different skates for school figures and, and freestyle. You'd be running and changing your skates, and sometimes you go out for freestyle and not get fully warmed up. Because school figures are slow and static; they're not for fast twitch fibers. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't make you rotate your jumps faster or quicker, but they do teach control and they do teach edge control. And only if they count and part of the competition would they be done well. You can't say yes. Of course, a coach could teach school figures anyway. Well, unless it counts, 
you're not going to get the commitment from the parents <laughs> or the skaters yeah. to do go around and around circles. But that would be one way to get more control and perhaps a little bit better positioning. That, that's one suggestion. It's possible. I will say that figures, while I have never done figures, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that they, they take a really long time. Um, and, yes. and that's, that's a lot of ice time for skaters, um, yes. which I, I feel like these days it's very limited. Like skaters have very limited ice time in general, especially trying to balance school and, you know, with hockey programs all over the country. Um, yeah. I feel like figure skaters get less time on the ice than, um, other skating programs. Uh, so I, I do feel like figures would be hard to bring back. I actually think the current mm -hmm. system with, um, moves in the field tests are great, but I don't think that, um, judges are as strict as they should be on proper edging and turns. Um, because mm -hmm. you know, it, it is some of the coaching sloppy. I think, I think some of the coaching sloppy. I think some of the coaching is sloppy when they yeah. teach them. Yes. Because I was brought up with school figures and I did a, you know, out of five hours a day, I'd skate. Mm -hmm. I did three hours of school figures, three hours going around circles. You know, people say, what are you doing? You know, and you work 45 minutes on one turn on one, you know, one thing just to get it just as good as you possibly could with all the criteria. Is it the right height? Is it clean? Is it, you know, what's the rest? It was always, it was endless. And so you spend all this time, yes. but it is expensive. You're right. It's an extra set of boots and blades and it's expensive and it's um, more lessons but again, you sometimes didn't have as many freestyle lessons. You know, I would do, you do three That's 15 true. minutes a week yeah. of freestyle lessons and probably three mm -hmm. half hours of the school figures. So how did they get better? They, they practiced maybe, I don't know. It's, you know, and I remember, um, I remember when they did away with school figures, Carla Fossey said he was very funny. Oh, the only ones will be able to afford to stay in coaching are, are rich housewives. Because you can't afford to, you know, because you can't afford to um, um, just teach freestyle. Well, now you can. I mean, it, it's developed. Now you and can. It's changed. And, yeah. Um, it's just you know. So I mean, that's all changed. And I mean, it's opened the sport up to more kids because you're, as you said, the time it takes. It probably op it opened up to more children that wouldn't have the money to spend going back to do these school figures. But if you're trying to control or trying to get kids to, you know, rather than just saying, oh, you can't be over this age, you know, I think probably 12, well, how old was Sonia Heine? Wasn't she 12 when she won the Olympics? The first? I don't know, maybe she wasn't 12, but she was very, very young when she came on the scene, you know, and I don't know anything about, I really mm -hmm. don't know her background other than reading about her. But lost it. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, with the, with the age change, um, that solution is, is kind of too empty. It's too broad. Um, and it doesn't really apply to the real issues, um, that are, that are causing. And I think the biggest emphasis is on the lack of skating quality. Um, and you know, the lack of judging being strict on, you know, edges on jumps and, and, you know, the aesthetics of pure skating, um, a lot of the, the girls that have been winning over the past decade, uh, they're not as fantastic as everyone claims that they are um, just because they can land a specific jump. There's, there's a lot of missing qualities that 
people are not pointing out. And I think that's kind of where the real harm has been coming in. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on the importance of skating quality? I think it's, I think it's everything. I and mean, the basis, basics are everything. Basics are everything. And it's just like in any other field or sport, when all else fails, you go back to basics. You know, you go back to the mm-hmm. basic technique, the basic um, quality of your body positioning. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, any field, you have to go back to basics. So when something falls apart, because the ones that are winning you early and whipping themselves around on jumps, mid, they get a little bit larger, you know, which they will. They're going to put on some weight. They're going to grow a little bit and develop. They'll miss those jumps. Those jumps won't be there for them. And so you're trying to, as a, but that's up to the coach to try to build the strongest basis. I don't believe in holding them back, you know, getting the perfect, perfect axle before you teach them a double axle, you know, and that's, that's where coaching comes in. You know, there used to be a coaching candidate that used to want everything so perfect before they take the skater up. Well, they never got up because they were held back trying to get this perfection, which they were never going to get. So again, as a coach, that's what you're looking for. You're constantly, it's a work in progress, but that's where the fun of coaching comes in and the challenge of it. How do you, you know, what time do you move skaters up? Do you put them up for a double axle when they came into a clean double sock up? No, just because the parent says, oh, my child's working on a double axle. I don't care if they're working on a double axle. You know, they can't do the double sock out. So there is some element mm-hmm. to, to doing things in order, but you can't, yeah. as a coach, you have to then say, how much do you hold them back and how much do you move them up? You know, and sometimes you'll move somebody up too fast and then maybe you'll learn from that and then you won't do it the next time. But you have to learn. As a coach, you're constantly learning. Um, I had an ice dance coach, Peter Sassmore, working with some of my top skaters because I watched um, Renee Roca and Gorsha Sur skate, stroke around. They were in Oakland, stroking around the rink. And I watched two of my senior skaters trying to keep up with them. And my senior skaters were bopping along, bopping like this. And Renee and Gorsha had perfect posture, flowing across the ice, much faster than this top level. And these were top level junior or seniors at the time trying to keep up with them <laughs> i thought oh, okay and so i had peter sassmore gave some of the skaters great insight on how to get better run to the blade how to get better flow how to keep mm-hmm. it moving how to keep that contact with the ice when you push and i learned a lot and changed my direction of how i was teaching this is after i had taught christy this is after i coached at three olympic games you know I coached Calgary and Albertville and Lily Hammers. After that, I learned about edges like that, you know? See, growing up, all I did was edging and, I, and style and didn't do much jumping. And so that was how I was brought up. But, it, you know, you do it without thinking sometimes when you're a skater. But I learned the analytical part of it more from um, watching ice dancers. There you go. I think it's, it's interesting um, just systemically within our uh, judging system and levels. Um, now we're kind of reaching this point where a lot of young kids are trying to rush the process. Like you were saying, going from a single axle to a double axle by, and not paying attention to some of the doubles in between. Um, I was, I've been working, I've been doing seminars and working with a lot uh-huh. of students. Um, and something that I've noticed a lot Um is in spins. I teach spin classes. Shout out to my mom, who also is my spin coach. Um, <laughs> the, the basics are really not there. A lot of kids can't show me a proper set spin um, with, with beautiful, nice technique or a proper layback. 
um, or a beautiful camel spin that goes into a sit spin, super simple combination. Um, but they can, they can do all these other variations of combination spins with weird little positions, but the basic just isn't focused on. Um, and so that, you know, every other position you build on top of that is then kind of incorrect or unesthetic. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I think like maybe in the current judging system, something that they could focus on is on the younger levels, not, you know, awarding them for trying a, a new weird position. Um, weird isn't the right word, but I don't think they need to do the new weird position. Sometimes most of them are ugly, you know, aesthetically ugly and they don't look good. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think they need to learn how to do a basic, you know, scratch spin, mm-hmm. a basic sit spin, a basic camel spin. Yes. How many basic camels are even decent? How many can even hold their leg up? Now, a lot of these can be worked on there. You can do it cheap. You can do it in your bedroom at home. Mm-hmm. You don't need to spend any money to learn. You know, you stand on the floor. I, I never taught about a spinner because we didn't have them, but just standing on the floor doing the camel position. You know, if you have a dresser in your bedroom and you look at the mirror, how, how far does your leg go up? What does it look like? You know, sit spin. You can work on the, on the floor in your room. Now there, and that really helps. And that's something that um, they can do. It doesn't cost anything, but nobody's going to do it for them. You know, this is where, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, this, you know, they can show them, but then they should go home and do it. Lay back spin. You should have somebody watching you if you're going to you know, lean back. You like that. You probably should have somebody watching you. Yeah. But, um, I agree completely. I think those spins are lacking. They don't even know how to get a good centering. Mm-hmm. They don't do the first part of the centering into the spin. Yeah. How to really press down and get into that. And so they don't stay in one spot, but you know, there again, I, after hearing other, sorry, there's one of my dogs going, it's okay. um, you know, there again, I learned from other coaches listening. I mean, Carla was the one that said, go sit up in the stands and watch your skaters. Go sit up in the stands and really evaluate them. Sit up in the stands and watch them. You know, what would the Russian judge say? What would the German judge say? Not the American who maybe wants them to do well. What would the other judges mm-hmm. think of your students? And look at them critically. Watch their spins. Are they in one spot? Are they staying in one spot? Are they moving all over the place? Mm-hmm. I mean, simple things like that create better quality. Why does step sequence have to sweep the floor? Why do you have to sweep the floor and, and do that in a step sequence? It's awkward. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go with the music. I mean, they can't even do a footwork set that goes to the music because they can't worry about the music. You've got to sweep the floor and you have to. Yeah. And then the edges aren't as deep anymore either. We see a lot no. of flat edges in, yeah. in at worlds in the senior yes. divisions. Now it's, it's yeah. sad. <laughs> Look at the crossovers. Watch, watch the, the crossovers are bad. Watch skaters from the knees down. When you watch the next skating on the TV, watch the skaters from the knees down and see if you can see the quality of what they're doing. Are they scratching? Do they make a lot of noise? Are they quiet? Do they move on the, you know, do they have good control of their edges and they're, and they're, um, they're quiet moving across the ice. I mean, you know, sure. I sound old saying some of that stuff, but you know, I think that would help as a coach. What would you do? You'd say, well, if they're doing that, then if I help my skaters and try to teach them and emphasize this, it'll show, you know, some of subtle, but it does show in the end. And sometimes they'll say, oh, that one's better. Oh, why? Oh, I don't know. They're just better. 
Is there anything that you uh, think could improve the judging specifically, like the personal integrity of judging or just the system as a whole um, on focusing on bettering skating from a quality standpoint rather than just the band-aid? It's a subjective sport. Unfortunately, it's subjective. You can't quantitate, you know, they try to, and with the point things, they're trying to quantitate you know, put everything into categories in this, but then you lose, you know, some of the feeling of it. I mean, we had one judge, but talk about feeling, then that gets in the way too. We had one judge, um, Andrew said, well, why, <laughs> he kind of go up and ask people. I mean, we knew him, you know, we knew the judges, but I didn't want to get into it. So he'd go up and say, well, why'd you do this? Oh, oh, it was just the emotion of it. I just got emotionally involved. Well, that's, you know, emotionally involved. Okay. Um, so then what do you do? As a coach, you come back and you try to be, again, a foot better. So the emotionally involved judge can put that aside and say, oh, I can see this one's better. Um, it's a lot to strive for. And um, that's why as a, you have to make sure the skaters as much as you can, and this is also from a parent viewpoint, they're doing it because that's what they want to do. This is what they want to do. So no matter what the outcome, good or bad, it won't change their love of skating. It won't, you know, they'll come off of a defeat and come back and work harder, pull themselves up and go out and, and show them the next time. There's nothing else you can do. That's the only thing you can do. And, you know, the um, U.S. figure skating has the get up and what is it, get up program or if you fall down, and that's what it is. It's constantly, it's constantly. And no matter how much you, you don't get the score you want in competition, what about if you don't get the score you want on grade in school? What do you do? If you have some guts, you go up and you ask the professor. And of course, <laughs> you know, you should go up and ask the professor, you know, what can I do better? Um, you try to go find out what, what can be better. You know, if it's in high school, you're probably scared or elementary school, you're not asking a teacher, but there aren't so many grades in elementary school. But by the time you get to high school, you should be asking, you know, as a student, you have to ask people. And same thing you can ask, you know, there's a lot of judges you can ask. Usually your local judges you can ask and ask them. And if you don't like the answer, okay, you don't like the answer. And maybe it wasn't right, but maybe there was an element of truth to it you didn't want to hear. And that happens. And it's hard to take, hard as a coach to take. Oh, I hate their music. I had Chrissy skating to the Jetsons. She was tiny. She was petite. She was in juniors. They said, oh, it was too kiddish. Okay, it was too kiddish, uh, you know. But she skated really well to the Jetsons, but they didn't like it, you know. Did I change it? No, I didn't change it. We kept with. But, you know, then you have to balance it with something else. Um, you listen to um, what people say, but you don't have to always take it to heart. And my mother always told me, and she's really right, you can get the money back. All the money you put into, you can get the money back. You can earn it back somehow. Can't get the time. So that time is what's valuable. If you want to be doing it, then it's worth it. Then you do it. But um, if it's not what you want to do more than anything else in the world, then you, you put in that category. You know? Like when I, I had our daughter taking piano lessons, they said, I said, she's a recreational piano player. She's recreational. Yes, she has a knack but she's recreational. She's not passionate. You know, she's doing it for recreation to get a basis in music, you know, and she did some little tests and stuff, but the kind of, people kind of like, what's a rec recreational 
piano player. What else do you call it? You take your lessons, you practice a little bit, practice before the next lesson for sure, but you don't practice every day like you're supposed to. You know, you practice just before the next lesson to show that you put some time in. But, um, you know, so I mean, skating though, it's all encompassing. There's really no halfway to do competitive skating. And so it has to be something they want to be doing because you, you do sacrifice other things and it can't feel, if it feels like too much of a sacrifice, you shouldn't be doing it. Absolutely. You know, well, last question for you, Christy, um, uh, what are you up to now? And, um, how is your d- daughter Victoria doing? I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's now, she's a, uh, finishing up her freshman year at UC Merced and she's enjoying it. She likes the teachers, the, her professors are actually, are actually, actually yeah. teach. Uh, it's, which is really good. She's only had a couple that didn't speak much English and um, she, you know, but I say two out of eight, she's had eight professors and only two were not too good. And the rest were actually <laughs> quite good. And so she finds it actually easier than high school. Fantastic. Um, she finds it easier than high school. And I think she said high school, I think they tried to make it hard. We're going to make this strenuous. We're going to make this, you know, and for her, it wasn't good fit. Um, so I think she's in a good, good place. Um, she'll be home for this week. So we're excited about that. Amazing. Um, my husband's close to retiring. He hasn't quite officially retired. And so he's close to it. And so I started coaching a little oh, bit. Oh, fun. <laughs> and I actually ha- have an alpha class. Wow. I told Laura Earl of Dublin that I will coach alpha because I got on the ice after 15 years and scared to death, could hardly stand up. And I, my skates don't feel like they fit. My feet feel like they're flopping. I'm squeezing my laces really tight, but I won't go buy another pair of boots until I find out if I am going to coach enough to make it worth, worth the money. There you go. <laughs> I won't spend the money, you know? So anyway, and I'm enjoying it. The alpha class is fun. The kids are bright. Most of the class there's, I think there's 12 kids in the class and three fourths of them are bright kids. These are smart kids really smart kids and they you know are used to taking instruction of some kind and it's fun to do you know if you like kids and you like skating you enjoy coaching yeah and now what level alpha level you know beginning competitive level olympic level it's it's still skating and so you have to enjoy it and so you know i mean i thought i'd do it a little bit and see what happens yeah see how it goes that's awesome so that's what i'm doing now. i'm back coaching a little bit so all I've started with so far, I've been able to commit the time to, I don't have enough time to commit to anything else right at the moment is an alpha class, but I'll continue on. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, and do a little bit more. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Good for you, Christy. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Christy. That was, that was You're awesome. <laughs> a lot of great content. We could talk and talk. I know it's awesome. <laughs> I could go on, but um, you know, it's opinion. And, um, that's opinion, but again, as a coach, I think you have to be an mm-hmm. observer You have to be an observer, and you have to love mm-hmm. the sport. You have to enjoy it and you have to yeah. enjoy kids. That's important. Yeah, important. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Christy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Bye.
save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 